Right. Mm-mm-mm. Shabbat-abadoo. Okay. So everybody just relax. It's 10 to 12. We're not going to be getting on here at 12 o'clock. I hope there's no turkey on the stove or anything. I'll try my best to be brief. But we are, as you know, if you're part of this congregation, we are going through uh, the Advent calendar. So the first four Sundays prior to Christmas, we focus on hope, peace, love, and joy. So Kayan spoken on hope first, first Sunday. I spoke on peace last Sunday. I'm speaking on love this Sunday. And then joy, very fittingly, joy is going to be speaking on joy. Yes. Uh, this is part of the, you know, the church's calendar. We don't necessarily always follow that because we try not to be too uh, um, predictable or legalistic or ritualistic or whatever. But um, sometimes we feel it's good to just focus on these four, four. I mean, Jesus died to give us so much, did he not? He came into this world to give us so, so much. And it's always good to reflect on what he's done for us. So... Um, this Sunday we're speaking about love, everybody, love. There's so much that can be said. I mean, there's so much, isn't there? So it, it was a little bit challenging to, uh, to you know, focus and narrow down on what I felt we should focus on for this particular Sunday. So here's what I want to start doing. I want to pray first, then I want to ask a question, then I want to speak for a few minutes, and then we'll gather in groups and then pray for each other. Good with that? Father, we just invite you to come again. We thank you you've been here. Thank you you've been moving in our midst. Thank you for the way your healing anointing has been flowing. Thank you for the chance to just worship you. Just take time to worship you with... Uh, old familiar songs and carols, but also new ones, but all words that speak uh, glorious truth about who you are. And we just love you in this place, Jesus. We think you're just totally awesome, that you're really worthy of, our, of the nation's praise. You're worthy of our praise. And Jesus, I ask that even as we, as we focus on your word, Lord, you would be in the center of every single thing that we do as we declare your word. I ask for the empowerment of your spirit. I ask for your spirit to land on fertile ground. I ask for your word to land on fertile ground this morning. And Lord, even as we, as we attempt to speak about love, this incredible nature of yours, your God is love. Lord, would you just help us, help us just to grasp uh, something uh, deeper of your love for us and what it means to be people of love. So help us, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, Bible says God is love, right? God is love. Everybody in agreement with that? God is love. Um, uh, I love ice cream. I love my wife. I use the same word love with radically different meanings, correct? I don't love ice cream in the same way as I love my wife. All right? That, yeah. Unless, of course, it's chocolate milk, 
Chocolate mint, no. Mint chocolate, anyway. Um, so here's the deal. I want to take a few minutes to focus on what God's love really is because we have so many, so many meanings that infuse the word love, right? You can turn on the, the, the radio right now and you can hear a, a, a plethora of songs singing about love, love songs. And, but, but that's one kind of love. Let's focus on, on God's love. What does it mean that God is love? So tell me, everybody, shout out loudly a word or two, or, or yeah, a word or two that describes what God's love is. If you're a, if you're a, if you're into grammar, we're asking for ag- adjectives that describe God's love. Unconditional, louder, unending, extravagant. Come on, relentless. Unmeasurable, continual, overwhelming, perfect love. My gosh, you guys have already preached the message right there, right there. That's exactly what I wanted to sort of uh, get us thinking about. Uh, I want to give you four sort of marks or characteristics of the love of God. Of God's love. Okay? But first of all, let's talk about the great suggestion. When Jesus in Mark, in Mark um, sorry, Matthew 18, when the teacher came and said to Jesus, what's the greatest suggestion that you have for me to live a good life? What did Jesus say? Love you, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not a great suggestion. It's a great commandment. It's instruction, which means we, we ought to, this is, this is a big deal. He says the whole entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets hang on these two ideas. Loving God with everything within you and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And here's the first thing I want to say. First of all, God never asks asks us to do something he hasn't already done himself. He's that kind of leader. He's never going to ask you to do something that he himself hasn't done. So when God asks us to love him, with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all, all of our mind, all of our strength, it's because he has demonstrated that and done it for us. He has loved us and he continues to love us with all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his soul, all of his strength. And the way he proves it is by sending his son Jesus into this sin-stained world full of corruption, full of Depravity, you know that uh, good old-fashioned word, depravity, is an ugly word, but that really explains uh, the condition of this world. We are just in a bad, in a bad way, okay? And, in, and, 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 because, and because of that, because we're actually helpless, we really are helpless, But God, in his great mercy, he sent his son Jesus to take the punishment that was rightly deserving, that we rightly deserve. He took it upon himself. And he's made a way for you and I to be reunited, reconnected to God, our creator, our redeemer, our savior, our God, who is the king of love. 
because that's why he did this. He loved us. He loved us immeasurably. He loved us unendingly. He loved us continually. He loved us perfectly. That's why he did this for us, because of his great love for us. And so he's asking us to love in the same way as he is loved. So point one, God never asks us to do anything he doesn't, has not already done himself. Point two, he, whatever he asks us to do, he enables us to do by the power of his spirit. That's why we are so reliant on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because we cannot do anything that God wants us to do apart from the empowerment of his spirit. Amen? Point number three, let's keep those two commandments in order. Keep, keep them in, in right priority. Here's what I mean by that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your, mind, your soul, mind, and strength. Don't invert them because you cannot love your neighbor as you love yourself without first having received the love of God. Without, having first having, without first having a rich relationship with God himself. And then, and then, and then point B in that, point three, Three B is this, we cannot say that we love God and hate our brother or sister. First John chapter four, we cannot say we love God but hate our brother and sister. So those two, those two statements, those two commandments are so intricately connected. We love God with all of our hearts and as we love him because he first loves us, we are filled with his love so we're enabled to love the people around us, the way that, that they deserve to be loved. Amen? All right. So, I want to give you four characteristics of the love of God. First one is, God's love is covenantal. Or you can say unconditional, but I want to use the word covenantal. All right, God's love is passionate, everybody. God's love is passionate. God is not an impassionate God, he's not without emotions, you know, he's just a big God in the sky who does things because he's powerful. There is emotion attached to everything he does, and I'll show you in a minute why that is so true. God's love is self-sacrificial, and God's love is transformational. Covenantal, here's the first verse, uh, De Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 9. The Lord did not set this is Moses speaking to the people. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people. You weren't powerful or great. In fact, you were the weakest of everybody. You were the fewest of everybody. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept his oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations for those who love him and keep his commandments. Come on. What, what Moses is saying here is a whole bunch of different things. He's saying, listen, first of all, God, God has chosen you not because you are better than anybody else, not because you're more powerful. He chose you because he chose you. He chose you because he made a promise 400 plus years prior to Abraham and said, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. They will be great among the nations. You, your, your, descendants will, your descendants will be like the stars, like the sand on the sea, seashore. That is my promise to you. 
God is a God who keeps covenant. He made this agreement. By the way, it was a one-sided agreement. If you read it in Genesis 15, when he, when he asked uh, Abraham to, 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 to split the animals in two, typically one party would go through in a covenant-making ceremony, and then the other party would go through. Okay, and so both parties are making covenant together. But Moses, son of Moses, Abraham fell asleep. God put him into a deep sleep, and God was the one who walked through. In other words, God is the one who is saying, Abraham, you're a good guy, but you cannot. You don't have the fortitude. You don't have the, the you don't have the, you don't have, you don't have what it takes to fulfill this covenant. Okay? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And this is, this, is, this is just demonstrating the kind of God that he is. He's willing to make covenant with us. He's re- willing to remain faithful even when we are unfaithful or when we are faithless, Romans chapter 3. Okay? This is the kind of God. He's a God who keeps covenant with us. So, if we are receiving this love of God, if we're receiving the love of God, if we're living in the love of God, if we're meant to demonstrate the love of God, if we're meant to love our neighbor with this kind of love of God, how are we doing in terms of demonstrating the covenant nature of, God, of God's love? The covenantal nature of God's love. This question, how are we doing with that? How are we managing with our own Covenants. How are we managing with keeping our word? How are we managing with keeping our promises? Whether it's in, in, in our family, husband and wife, or our family, or whether we're in business working together. How are, we, how are we doing with covenant? If this love of God is in our hearts, and we're meant to, to receive God's love. We're meant to give it away. By the way, that used to be our uh, tagline as a church. To walk in God's love and to give it away. Right? Until we did a whole bunch of rebranding. But that hasn't changed. That, uh, as, a, as a movement, as a church, we're still fully committed to walking in God's love and giving his love away. So my question is, how are we managing with, with living a covenantal kind of a life? How are we managing with the key relationships in our life? Whether it's family, whether it's on a job, whether it's in church. How are we managing with our covenant uh, relationships? Something to reflect on. Point number two, God's love is passionate, everybody. Zephaniah 3.17 is one of our favorite verses. Because the Lord, your God, is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. With his love, he will rejoice over you with singing. I bring this up because when I was, when I was in seminary 100 years ago, uh, one of the things that, as I was studying theology, one of the things that I was learning was that back in the Middle Ages, uh, there was this doctrine or idea of God's impassibility. God's impassibility. You okay with that word? God's impassibility. Which doesn't mean that you can't pass him in the 401. That's not what, that's what, that's not what that one means. His impassibility means that he doesn't have, or he doesn't do anything with emotions, passions, impasse, passions, right? He doesn't do anything with, 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 with emotions. 
because the people who were writing and thinking in those days were people who came out of the Enlightenment and they were, and they were thinking that the mind is more important than the emotions. Reason and logic and rationality are more important than the emotions. Emotions are weak. Emotions are fickle. So let's think of God only in, if, God is, if God is meant to be faithful and trustworthy and strong, he has to be reasonable, he has to be logical, he has to be like us. Right? He can't, he can't be a God who is moved by emotions because emotions are unreliable. But that is not true, my brothers and sisters. I'm here to tell you that is a great you know, stuff that we can write about for, and books and books are written on it, but that is not the truth because the Bible tells us that God is moved by passion. He's moved by emotions. And, and this is just one verse. The Lord your God is in you, Mr. Mighty One. He will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. When he saw the people of Israel, even though they were in rebellion, even though they were messed up people, even though they were not following God's ways, it says that God still rejoiced over them with gladness. And, and the, the, the folks tell us that that actual word rejoicing, that phrase rejoicing over you with gladness is, is, can be interpreted to mean that God dances. He jumps around and twirls around. Like if you imagine, if you imagine a Jewish dance where people where, where the jews are are twirling around and dancing because they're demonstrating that they're joyful and rejoicing this comes from their interaction with god because god is like that he rejoices over us with singing he twirls around can, can you imagine that gail when god thinks of you he he does a little pirouette he freaks out because gail is oh my gosh look at gail and he does his thing all right this is, the kind of, this is the kind of emotion God has. It's important, folks, because it feeds us when we understand God, God's love is like this. I've given you this example before. I'm going to give it to you again because I can't think of a better one. 17 years ago, 17 and a half years ago, the earth moved everybody in Toronto. On that day, there was an earthquake. And it also coincided with the fact that Elsa and I got married on that day, 17 and a half years ago. But we stood in front of a couple of witnesses like you, a bunch of people. There's a priest, a high priest, Steve Long, and, um, and witnesses. And, and under God, we made a covenant agreement with each other, an agape covenant agreement. All right? We, we, we said, by a choice of my will, I will love you uh, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, you know, all that stuff we said. Wonderful, wonderful agreement, covenant agreement we made with each other, okay? But just imagine if in the, in, in the intervening 17 and a half years that there was never any sort of uh, emotional, naturally demonstrated affection for each other. What kind of marriage would that be? I know some of you probably have marriages like that. But our marriage has demonstrated natural affection, if you know what I'm trying to get at. Come on. This is the kind of love that God has. Yes, he loves us with agape love, right? Which is, which is I agree to love you. You decide to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to love you. 
There's that covenant agreement he's made. But there's also the filial love of God, the demonstrated natural affection for God that he, he actually feels affection for us. So he doesn't just love us, he actually likes us. And he wants us to experience his love. He wants us to, to get in touch with, with his affection for us. Because I can tell you from experience, that's the kind of love that actually empowers us to love him back. It, it, be, before I came into this, revel, in, into this understanding of God's love for me in this way, I was basically white-knuckling it, man. God loves me because he made a covenant with me, so I have to love him back you know, because, of, because of covenant. So I'm, 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 I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to live my life and try my best to love God. But one, once, I, once I came into this revelation of God's love for me and the Spirit of God began to fill me and show me and touch my emotions with his love, it became so much easier to love him back. It became way more natural. Okay? Amen? This is the kind of love that God has for us. He's passionate for us. So, my question to you then, how are you loving uh, God? How are you loving people? Is there fire in your bones when you, when you think of God, when you think of loving God? Is your heart burning for him? Is your heart burning with affection and with deep love for Jesus, for God the Father? Hey, Carl, stay awake with me, man. If you're going to nod your head off, go in the back row. Love of God, passionate love of God. I'm trying my best to give you a message here about the love of God for us. Passionate love of God. How are we doing with that? How are we loving God? How are we loving the people in our lives? Is there, is there passion? I don't necessarily mean, you know, you're jumping up and down, but I'm, I'm saying, is there fire in your bones that moves you to love God and to love people? Next. Let's go a bit faster now. Self-sacrificial love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I'm so, Elsie and I are so... Uh, jazzed about the way that so many of us in this church um, went out on the streets. You stepped out of your comfort zone. I stepped out of my com comfort zone and we went in an, into the neighborhood and uh, sort of self-sacrificially we decided we, we want to we do this. We want to we make an impact. So even though it's a bit uncomfortable or a lot uncomfortable, we're going to go in the cold. So at one point it was snowing and wintry conditions and we're going to knock on doors. I thought that was so, so impressive because that, that's beginning, that's demonstrating a little bit of self-sacrificial love for Jesus in a concrete way. That we're going to go out there, even though, it's not, even though it's not our first choice, we're going to do this because we want to demonstrate to Jesus that we love him. And we want to see people, we want to see people have a chance to hear about this God of love, this God of grace, this God who's so kind and so good and so loving and so gracious. 
Amen. Let's keep going faster. Self-sacrificial love, and then finally, God's love is transformational, everybody. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And, and that is what we are. We really are children of God. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. If we're experiencing the love of God, if we're living in the love of God, one of the outcomes of that is that we have a high value for living lives of purity. I don't mean perfection. I mean wor working towards living or working towards being transformed on an ongoing basis more and more into the image of Jesus. Is that true or not? Those who have this hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. But the starting point is because it's his great love. We don't want to be righteous or pure or any of that stuff because we're obligated or because it's a thing to do. We want to live that way because it comes out of a, of, out of a motive of, of, of experiencing and living in the great love of God. Love is meant to motivate every single thing that we do. Every single thing we do is meant to be motiv motivated by love, not by rules or regulations. Amen? So, there you go. So how do we respond to this? On a scale of 1 to 10, where are you on the love scale? And then what do you need to do in order to move up the scale? So we're thinking about God's covenantal nature or the covenantal nature of God's love. How are we with that? We're thinking about God's passionate love for us. How, how are we doing with that, with passion? How are we doing with God's self-sacrificial love flowing through our hearts, flowing through our lives? How are we managing with the, God's transformational love that changes us from glory to glory. How are we doing with those things? Self-reflection. Measure yourself on that. I'll, I'll give you a, a few seconds to think about that. Ask God to help you. I was very happy to, to, to share this message, message until two days ago when I began to get in touch with the fact that, man, I'm not as really loving as I would like to be. There's so much more there's such a long way to go yet in terms of being more loving, more Christ-like in this way. But the beauty of it, I, I can't just rely on myself because if, if I focus on, on myself and, and, and become self-reliant, first of all, I'm going to get really disappointed and then I'm going to get really, um, uh, I'm going to lose hope. But if I focus on the fact that he is in me, and he's empowering me, and he's helping me, and he's working with me to become more like Jesus, then I have a chance. Then I have hope. Then I can have something to aim for and to go for. Right? Amen? So how about if we just uh, gather together in groups of three or four people in this room, just gather together, and then first of all share briefly uh, a moment, if you can think of a moment where you felt so loved by God whether it's a thing that happened yesterday or 
weeks ago or months ago or 100 years ago. Just remind yourself of how God came and met you with his love, how he found you with his love. And then pray for each other to receive God's love more 